0: Uh, if you've got a Bible, turn to Proverbs. Um, we'll get there eventually here in just a moment. We're going to look at one verse today in Proverbs 29. Uh, if you don't know where Proverbs is, and you want to grab one of the paper Bibles that are right in front of you, or the hardback Bibles. Uh, if you turn right to the middle of your Bible, that'll be the book of Psalms, and then Proverbs is the book right after that. So today is a historic Sunday, like I shared with you earlier. I'm super grateful to everybody last Sunday who uh, helped move stuff from there to hear. It's an incredible amount of things that got done in one week. I'm thankful that God has given us Drew, who's got some height on him and was able to hand the chairs over the fence. Uh, he did a great job, and everybody who helped, uh, there were just some sweet moments of even doing that together last Sunday. And then uh, 10 days ago, we had a group of college students who gave up their spring break to come up here and serve in Boston, and four, uh, 18 college students from the state of Ohio and from Virginia Tech came and served and helped. And then we had a team last week from North Carolina, from Sunset Avenue Baptist, who was here, and they worked tremendously this week. It was amazing the things they accomplished. And then, uh, I mean, so many of you over the last few weeks have come and cleaned or painted. How many of you have been in this building in the last six weeks and painted or cleaned something? Awesome. Ari laid claim to the, uh, the furnace thing over here. She was like, that is mine. I painted that heater, and she wants you to know it forever. Uh, she'll let you know. If you need her to show you after what she painted, she would be happy to show you what she painted. To everyone who did that, thank you. It could not have, th- this could not have been done without you giving up time to come and be here and be an encouragement. I especially want to thank Kayla and Nick and Nikki. Uh, you cannot understand the amount of hours that the three, yeah, that's okay. You can clap because you cannot understand the amount of hours that they have put in in the last eight weeks. Uh, I would get here. I try to get here faithfully at nine every day and then work at least till five. Um, I would get here and they would have been here for an hour or two hours some days. And then they wouldn't leave until nine o'clock. And it's been this way six days a week for the last two months. Um, And so, so much of what you see, Kayla has this dry erase board and we would fill it up with tasks and then when we check them all off and then we would erase it and fill it up again. And so to all the kids, if you're, if you are in, uh, if you're zero years old today to 10 years old, will you look at me really fast? Kids, can you look? Yep. Thank you for being in here today, kids, because Kayla said, can I be in church today? And we said yes. And we have amazing kids in our church who would be willing to sit in church. So kids, if you want to see the kids' rooms after, Kayla is going to do a tour with you guys, right? Is that still the plan? You go with that? If you want to tour the kids' space, we'll have that ready to go next week. But I wanted Kayla and Nick and Nikki to be in here. This back wall, Nick had been saying, I've got a vision for this back wall. And so like... Thursday, there was no wall, and then he has just built and built and built, and uh, and they've done that. The three of them have worked so hard because they love this community, and they love our church, and they love Jesus, and so when you see them, pat them on the back and just let them know that we appreciate the work that they put in. Nick is a... Uh, Nick is, uh, loves McDonald's. I'm going to owe Nick McDonald's probably for the rest of his life, but I may go broke buying him McDonald's because when he gets it, he doesn't get a bag of McDonald's. He gets a bag of McDonald's, right? So that's how he rolls. But I am so grateful for the three of them and Natalie as well, who have been up here in, in addition to everything you've done. Have you ever seen an organization or a church or a business commit mission drift Have you ever seen Mission Drift? It's like when you start out to do one thing, but you begin to, over time, arrive at another thing. I've got a few businesses or organizations that suffer or have suffered from Mission Drift. Uh, One of them is Harvard. You know, Harvard, if you ever go over to Harvard and you look at uh, right by the main gates, it says that once we got into New England and settled our area, we built our houses, we built our churches, we established ourselves in business, then we needed to start a college to train our pastors. Man, it was started as a seminary. They've gotten away a little bit. They've committed a bit of mission drift over the last uh, 384 years, I believe. The YMCA, also known now as the Y, because 20 years ago they took the MCA out. The YMCA was the Young Men's Christian Organization. It was started as a Bible study for displaced men in London in the 1800s. Uh, And then it became a missionary sending hub. I I learned this this week. It's amazing. The YMCA in its history sent out 20,000 missionaries to share the gospel. But they've pivoted so far off of the Christian association that they removed it from their name a few years ago. That's Mission Drift. I think about MTV. MTV. Man, I remember MTV, like, I remember when MTV played music videos. How many of you remember that? Like, it started in 1981, and the first songs do you might know the first song on MTV? Video killed the radio star. It was the first music video they ever played. But here's what happened there. In, like, 1990-something, they created a show called The Real World, and by about 2000, reality TV killed the video star. And, uh, and it has never been the same ever since. By 2008... MTV played less than three hours of music a day, and I think they play even less today. Mission Drift. Another one that I think of is Duncan. I'm going to put it in my back pocket. In 1984, Duncan came up with a brilliant ad. A lot of you remember this, I still remember this distinctly. Time to make the donuts. Do you still do you guys remember that? Dunkin' donuts? Like it was time to make the donuts. And he would be up at all hours of the middle of the night getting ready to make the donuts. But as people stopped eating the donuts, they stopped making so many of the donuts and they saw they could make more on coffee. And so in 2019, it was like a funeral living in New England, seeing donuts be removed from the Dunkin' name. Like I remember people feeling like their grandmother had died because they took donuts out of a name. And then I heard one, and that all led to me this week I heard this. Taco Bell was started with a simple mission to make the best Mexican-style fast food. So, of course, this week, they announced that they will now be selling coffee. (laughs) Because when I think Mexican food, I definitely think coffee. Um, So, uh, I just thought that was mission drift. Like, you start out doing one thing, and you decide to do another for all kinds of different reasons. Can I read you the original covenant of our neighborhood and that the Christians would live by in this neighborhood. Um, This was written, by the way, on July 30th, 1630. Uh, Governor Winthrop and several others made this commitment. They said, We, whose names are here underwritten, being by God's most wise and good providence brought together into this part of America in the Bay of Massachusetts, And desirous to unite into one congregation or church under the Lord Jesus Christ, our head, in such sort as becometh all those whom he hath redeemed and sanctified to himself. In other words, if we're the children of God, we ought to live like it, and that is why we are making this commitment that they share here. We do hereby solemnly and religiously, as in his most holy presence, promise and bind ourselves. This was the covenant that our neighborhood was started under. Our neighborhood to walk in all our ways according to the rule of the gospel and in all sincere conformity to his holy ordinances and in mutual love and in respect to each other, so near as God shall give us grace. That was our neighborhood's covenant. And the church and the neighborhood were basically one thing because it was started that everyone in this neighborhood would have a chance to say yes or no to Jesus and choose to follow him and then live accordingly. Now, I want to tell you, over the years, the church drifted and returned. There's a minister here, Zechariah Sims, if you ever look at the big Granite Slab as you walk in, his name is on there. he was pastor here from sixteen thirty four to sixteen seventy one He was a great pastor of this church. He led the first generations of Pur- the first generation of Puritans that were here in the neighborhood who wanted to see the church purified and its worship. Some pastors over the church's history were- spent less time as pastor but were deeply influential. John Harvard, also on the granite slab down there. Thomas Shepard Jr. Was pastor here for five years before he passed away. These were great men of God. Uh, and then I think about two men, Hull Abbott and Thomas Prentiss, who were the ministers here at the same time for about 30 years during the time of the Great Awakening when what God envisioned in the hearts of the Puritans became reawakened a hundred years after the settling of our country, and it spread across our country and throughout North America. These These men were the pastors during the Great Awakening and up to, and even during the American Revolution. And then I think of my favorite, Jedediah Morris, who was pastor here from 1789. To 1819 and fought Unitarianism he fought against the idea that God uh, there was a deep-seated idea taking over our city and our community that said that God was not Father Son and Holy Spirit that people were basically good that there was no such thing as sin and Reverend Morris stayed 30 years as pastor making sure that the church did not that first church didn't deviate off of that commitment to the gospel Um, all of these people were called, um, they, all of these people called this church and this community back to Christ and back to the gospel and back to mission. And last week we talked about character on the map, but today we're going to talk about direction off the map. In our Canoeing the Mountain series, we're going to talk about when you begin to go off the map, how do you know where you're going? Because if we think about it, in the last couple of years, like life has Like, if anybody wrote the script that we would be sitting here today as a church or as a culture or as a people, nobody would have written the script. We are off the map. And when we go off the map of life, how do we know where we're supposed to go? And today we're going to talk a little bit about how to know where to go, direction off the map. I think the simple answer to that is mission. Mission is the direction. It's the compass that tells us where to go off the map. Let's look at Proverbs 29, 18 today, if we can. One little verse. Nick was like, one verse? One verse today? Only one? One. Where there's no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. But blessed is he who keeps the law. Where there's no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. But blessed is he who keeps the law. We're going to talk mostly about that first phrase. The idea of prophetic vision. I don't know if that's confusing for some of you. When I hear prophet, I think of someone who tells the future. How many of you think of that a little bit, like a prophet is someone who can see what's going to happen? In the, in, in the Bible, typically a prophet was not a, um, a foreteller, but a forthteller. They were the person who was going to speak forth what God said. And so in the, if you read the, the Jewish scriptures, the Old Testament, from Isaiah to the last prophetic book, Malachi, oftentimes they will say, thus says the Lord. That's prophecy. Thus says the Lord. That's prophetic vision. Where there is no thus says the Lord vision, the people cast off restraint. In other words, today, the, prof- the one who speaks prophetically says, here is God's word, and here's how we're going to orient our home or our uh, workplace or our team. The Christians who, who embraces the prophetic vision says, this will be the compass, This is the direction. I didn't read this as a kid. I, was, I don't know. It's kind of, it's intimidating. The words are small. The pages are many. They're thin. What other book has pages this thin? It's intimidating. I don't get it. Like, but it's going to be the authority. I'm going to build my life, my home, my work, my career, my fun, everything around what God says. That uh, the one who can wield the Bible and explain it and apply it properly is the one who is maintaining a prophetic vision this makes a great door stopper. If you got one of those doors, like our bathroom door at our house is one of those that just gravity catches it and brings it in every time, this would do the trick. But God would allow this to be so much more. The ability to read it, understand what it meant, and understand what it means for us today, that's prophetic vision. And that's what God wants for you. How many of you grew up saying, this is a book that sits on grandma's coffee table, but we don't really read this book? How many of us, by show of hands, kind of grew up in that environment? Yeah, we don't read this thing. God intends for you to read it and understand it and be able to even apply it to your life where there is no prophetic. That's the idea of the prophetic. Now let's talk about the vision part the Harvard Business Review, a guy named Stuart Friedman a few years ago, gave a great definition for um, vision that is not a gospel definition, but I think it's a powerful one that we're going to gospelize. We're going to sanctify it here in a second. He said, vision is a compelling image of an achievable future, an essential means for focusing attention on what matters most, what you want to accomplish in your life. It inspires you and those you lead to act, to make constructive change towards a future that you all want to see. That's a good definition of vision. Let's baptize it real fast. Vision is a compelling image of an unachievable future without God. That's vision. If we can accomplish it, it doesn't have God in it. I want your life and my life and the things that we're passionate about, the places we lead, to be marked by if God didn't show up, that was going to be a failure. If God took a week off, we were toast a compelling image of an unachievable future apart from God, an essential means for focusing attention and worship on what matters most, what God wants to accomplish in our lives. It inspires us to act and make constructive change towards a future He wants to see and we want to see if, as we align our lives with Him. A prophetic, thus says the Lord, vision All of those things with the Lord's voice, the Lord's interest, the Lord's glory at the center. And the writer of Proverbs says, where there is none of that, then the people cast off restraint. Or another version says, they perish. Or the JD translation would say, they run amok. Did your parents ever accuse you of running amok, just acting the fool? That's what it's saying. Where there is no, thus says the Lord, vision for where we are going, the people act the fool and run amok. They cast off restraint. Some of you, some of the elementary and young people in the room are like, yeah, we cast off restraint, JD, woo! That's not a good thing. I don't know that you want to cast off the restraint. It's your kid and my kid back there that are doing that. So he's dead. He's dead, he's dead to you. The people cast off restraint, there's anarchy. Listen, a Christian sense of inspired mission is prophetic vision and it answers four questions. Now, vision answers these four questions in general. For people who follow Christ, they have to answer these questions. Here's the first one. Why do we exist? You can ask this of your family, of your workplace, of your team. Why does our team exist? Why do we exist as a family? Prophetic vision says, what does why does God have Christ Church Charleston exist? Why does God have the Kyle family exist? Why does God have Mark at his workplace? Why do we exist? Mission answers, when we go off the map, mission answers, why do we exist? The second question it answers is, what would be lost if we ceased to be? If I stopped being at my workplace, what would be lost? If our organization stopped, what would be lost? If, if Natalie and I got divorced tomorrow, what would be lost? If Christchurch Charlestown closed tomorrow, what would be lost? The third question mission answers. What principles must we guard as central to who we are? Somebody who had been in this building before today, walked in today, and saw the seating was a little different. It used to be in the lobby that there were two seats there and two seats there, and we put four seats in the middle around the fireplace because the fireplace is pretty and we should see it. And But the person said to me, they said, your church, this church loves to bring people together, not two here and two there. I said, yes, that's exactly what we want to do. That's exactly what we do. We want to guard that togetherness as central. What is it about, leader, about your workplace, home, team that is so central that if you say, okay, if it comes to keeping this or this, we have to keep this, and that means that might have to go. That's mission. Mission answers that question for you. And then the fourth part, what are we willing to let go of that's dead weight to continue to improve? Where there is no prophetic vision, where there's no answer to those four questions, we run amok. Organizations run amok. Families run amok. Communities run amok. Churches run amok where there's no answer to that. They cast off restraint. Christians, I want to tell you, Jesus gave himself... Um, Jesus himself gave all of us, and particularly Christ Church Charlestown, but all Christians in all times, our mission statement. Here's Jesus's mission statement. Can I give it to you? It's Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and in earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. Therefore, go and And make disciples of all nations. And then he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And I'll be with you always, even to the very end of the age. That's Jesus' mission. Go and make disciples. What's Jesus want Christ church Charleston to do? Go and make disciples. What's God wants your Christian home to do? Go and make disciples. This is what Jesus wants for all of us. Go make disciples, watch them identify deeply with him, and then teach them to obey him in faith. That's what, that's Jesus' mission. If if we pulled two stools up here this morning and Jesus sat down and I sat down with him, I said, Jesus, what do you want us to be doing? We would all lean in, and I'll tell you exactly what he's going to say. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the ends of the age. That is his universal mission. Is that what we are willing to be about as a church? But locally, in light of that, he's given our church a mission. And we prayed over this, and we wrestled with this before we sat on it, before we decided on it, and so we talk about it every Sunday because we believe that God gave it to us. It's to bring this neighborhood together around the gospel. That's what we're here to do locally our church's mission that's the answer to the question what would be lost if we didn't exist we're here to bring this neighborhood together around the gospel look around and you'll see neighbors you'll see people who live in the same zip code as you some you know some you don't know that's the mission of our church bring this neighborhood together around the gospel now whether it's our family mission or a company's mission or a team's mission or our church's mission if it's true and it's our direction when we're off the map, and I think I saw the slide up a minute ago, the mission wins. The mission wins. For your organization or your family or our church or your team, the mission wins. Some people will say, oh, we have this mission statement. But what's winning is actually the mission. In our church, we want bringing Charlestown together around the gospel to be the thing that wins. Some of you have been coming for just a few weeks now and you might say, dude, I don't know if I fit in here. If you're willing to come and help bring this neighborhood together around the gospel, like you love Jesus, we love Jesus together, we seek to see other people in this neighborhood love Jesus together, guess what? This can be your church. There's some stuff we'll hammer out. I want to hear your story. You might want to hear more of ours. But if that can be your mission, then that's what we're about. Bringing Charlestown together around the gospel. One square mile, 18,000 people, making sure every single one of them, every man, woman, boy, and girl has at least one chance to say yes or no to Jesus and the good news of the gospel. That's what we're about, and we believe, and that is in obedience to what Jesus said in Matthew 28. Here's what happened to Lewis and Clark, by the way. The series is called Canoeing the Mountains because Lewis and Clark were commissioned by Thomas Jefferson to go and find a northwest passageway from Missouri to the Pacific Ocean, by river. And when they got to the Rocky Mountains, they didn't think they were going to be so rocky or tall, and their canoes couldn't exactly get across them, and so they had a crisis. And here is where the idea of the Mission Winds comes to play. Thomas Jefferson's mission for them was by river to find a passageway to the Pacific Northwest. But that wasn't their mission. If you read Lewis and Clark's journals, their mission was to explore and find things that had never been found. So when they were off the map and they found rocky, tall mountains, they didn't panic. The mission won. The mission was not finding the Pacific Ocean. For them, the mission was exploring and discovering. And even though they didn't know how they were going to get across the mountains, the mission never changed. When the situation changes for us, The mission does not change. The mission wins. And locally in our church, the mission drafts what we value. As a church, we value five things. This might be important, might not to you. It's important to me. It's why we do everything. We value authenticity. God loves me just like I am, but he loves me too much to let me stay that way, so I never have to hide. We value loyalty. God never gives up on us. We will not give up on one another. We value community. Lone rangers get picked off first, so we will live this faith journey together. We value humility. There's nothing that we won't won't say, do, or serve to share the gospel with people. And then what's the last one? We value simplicity. We're not going to Busy up our calendars with a bunch of church events. We want to love Christ. We want to love the church. We want to love Charlestown. Mission drives what we value. Mission drives our strategy as a church. We only do three things as a church. We built it into the name. So important, we built it into the name. We're here to love Christ. I want you to show up on Sundays and love Christ. I want you to read your Bible during the week as an act of devotion to love Christ. We're here to love the church. I want us all in community groups, small groups, and we're here to love this community. We serve as a church four times a year on community events that we need to be part of. And I would love for you individually to all have as a sense of that loving Charlestown, one friend far from Jesus. And you say, well, I don't live in Charlestown. My friend doesn't live in Charlestown. Great. Love your friend in whatever zip code they live in toward Christ. Love Christ. Love the church. Love Charlestown. Mission also, by the way, drives what we count, what we celebrate. There's five things that we celebrate. When I look at Carson's life or Annie's life or Thompson's life or Nikki's life or Ruth's life or Kim's life, I'm looking to see. I know the gospel is winning in our lives when we see these five things. Is this person passionately pursuing Jesus? Can we see them pursuing Jesus? Is this person living connected? had they gone from sitting in rows to sitting in circles and building friendships? Is this person stewarding all of their life? Do they see themselves as managers of God's life versus owners of their own life? Are they exercising their giftedness? God has made each of you with unique gifts and temperaments and personality. Are you exercising the gifts he's given you, whether it's singing or playing the drums or teaching kids or greeting people or something else? Are you exercising the gifts God's given you? And fifth, are you sharing your story of what God has done in your life? When we look and see that happening, I know the gospel is winning. And it's not happening perfectly in anybody, but when we can see glimpses of it, we celebrate that mission drives those celebration points mission drives us where there's no prophetic vision the people cast off restraint and they run amok but where there is prophetic vision the mission wins and it guides us like a compass let me give you a challenge today real quick if i were going to give you homework here it is um i want to encourage you to consider writing a mission statement for your home or your team or your workplace A statement of why you exist, why God has you where he has you, and why you're and or that thing is irreplaceable. I want to challenge you to develop a simple mission statement for yourself, your home, your family, your team, your workplace, your company. And then let us know. Like write it down and just take a photo of it and send it to us. I'd love to see it or post it on Instagram and hashtag Christchurch, Charlestown. If you went away, what would be lost? The most gripping question I ever heard asked of a church was this. If your church closed tomorrow, would anyone in your community even notice? That's a gripping question. That's a tough one. Mission is the thing that would lead us away from that reality. My family, uh, my wife Natalie is back here with our sons. Uh, Noah played the drums this morning and Owen is back there. We have we're tweaking ours, but our statement, our mission statement as a family is loving one another and living on mission with our four with room for more. We want our home to be a place where people who aren't allergic to cats can come and love one another and live on mission with us. And if you are allergic to cats, you're still welcome. Just take some Aliver or Benadryl before you come over to our house and love one another and live on mission with us, right? That's our mission as a family. I would love to see for your workplace or your family or your home what God has called you to be and do. And then church, let me say this. Let's stay on mission in our part of Charlestown's history and future. We've said it, Kayla and Nick and I have said this, repeatedly in the last two months we want to give the next 10 years of our life if god lets us to do something that will be here a hundred years from now let's stay on mission bringing charlestown together what if for 10 years or even just one year we said look we're going to fight to bring people together around the gospel that's what we're swinging for we're swinging for that and nothing else what would the lord do with that and our part of history Can you guys go real quickly back to the, Hope, can you go back to the Proverbs 29 verse for me? 29, uh, 18. Where there's no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. Here's the problem, and I'll close with this. But blessed is he who keeps the law. And the Bible would even add in, blessed is he who keeps the law perfectly. Blessed is the woman who keeps the law perfectly. I don't know about you, but I didn't do that this week. So does that then mean I am not blessed? No. Because Romans 3.23 says this, that all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And Romans 6.23 says this, the wages, the thing we earn for our sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And Romans 5.8 says, but God demonstrates his love for us in this, while we were still sinners and lawbreakers, God sent his son to die for us. And Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, If you confess with your mouth and believe with your heart that Christ rose from the dead and that Jesus is Lord, then you will be saved. For it's with the mouth that one confesses, it's with the heart that one believes and is justified or invited into God's family. Where there's no, thus says the Lord, vision of what has to be, the people will cast off restraint and run amok. But blessed is the one, not who is a good person and not who has the best vision. Blessed is the one who is like all in, chips on the table, I'm following Christ, no matter what it costs. He is the mission. Not our church. He is the mission. Not our family. He is the mission. Not our workplace. All of those flow out of complete and total surrender to Jesus and who he is and what he wants to do in our lives.